Welcome to the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association's podcast. In Mark 16:15, Jesus says, "Go throughout the whole world and preach the gospel to every person." This Bible teaching was given in the Tabernacle in Ocean Grove, New Jersey. Visit oceangrove.org to learn how we are fulfilling our mission to provide people of all ages with opportunities for spiritual birth, growth, and renewal through worship, educational, cultural, and recreational programs at the Jersey Shore. This message was given by Pastor Vito Ayudo at Bible Hour in Ocean Grove on Monday, July 26, 2021. Pastor Ayuda will be providing the Bible Hour message again this year from July 11th through July the 16th, 2022 in the Tabernacle at 9 a.m. Please join us and invite others. Visit our website at oceangrove.org for information about all of our programs. Well, good morning and welcome to Bible Hour here in beautiful Ocean Grove, New Jersey. Um, camp meeting week. Hallelujah. Thank you for coming out this morning. Can't think of a better way to start a Monday morning than to be together with the family of God in the Word of God, to learn more about the God who loved us enough to die for us and to forgive us for all of our sins. So thank you for being here this morning. We are so blessed to be with you. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 88. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great is our God. You are the God of miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footsteps were not seen. We are very blessed today to have uh, Pastor Vito Ayudo back with us this morning. Vito's been here several times, and we are so blessed when he comes for Bible Hour, and now he's here doing Camp Meeting Week, so I consider that a double blessing. Vito was born and raised in Michigan. He's a graduate of Western Michigan University and Princeton Theological Seminary. After seminary, he moved to New York City, where he has worked in a variety of ministries, including homeless outreach and directing a ministry to college students at NYU. He helped to found Resurrection Brooklyn and has been the lead pastor of Resurrection Williamsburg since it began in May 2005. Vito and his wife Monique enjoy playing music as the welcome wagon. Please help me give a warm Ocean Grove welcome to Pastor Vito Ayudo. Thank you so much. Dear friends, good morning. I am very, very glad to be here with each one of you. And... uh, I'm glad to hear you be here because it's a privilege to... Should I, should I put this one down since I'm doing this one? Is that what happens? Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. Uh, it's a privilege to get to be here, to, to be asked to do this and to get to be here with you for the week is a privilege for me and for my family. Hello. One, two. They didn't, they didn't do the, these kind of mics until much later. This is the original mic that they used here in 18... 18- so I'm, I'm happy with this one. For me, this is fine. For me, this is fine. Look, this is what I want to say. I, get to, I want to get to teaching the Bible. I, I love being in this space with people when we're gathered around God's word. Um, you know that God's name means I am. It means in the present. We don't have tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And the past doesn't even really exist. Where we have and what we have given to us by God is our time right now. And so it's a privilege that we get to be here. Each one of the people here, each of us, God has brought us each here. So thank you for being here. I'm glad that you're here. 
And what we're going to do today and what I want to do throughout the week is I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about God's Spirit. The Christian way to speak about God is as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And for the most part, I know that there are exceptions to this rule, but for the most part, we are much more comfortable speaking about and, um, and addressing God as both Father and Son, but Spirit not as much. We often speak to God as Father. Jesus even speak, tells us, teaches us to speak to God as our Father. The prayer that he teaches us, he says, address God as our Father. Or even all the way back in the Psalms, Psalm 68, 5 says, Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. So we think about God as a father. Ephesians says, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We pray to and speak about God the Father. We often speak, too, of God the Son. We're pretty comfortable with thinking about Jesus as God's Son. When the angel came to Mary and Luke and told her that Jesus was to be born, the angel said, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So we pray to and we speak about God the Son. So God the Father, God the Son, but God the Holy Spirit not quite as much. We don't think about, we don't address the Holy Spirit quite as much as we do as the Father and the Son. And there are several reasons for this. One of the reasons is the ministry of the Holy Spirit is such that he wants to shine a light on Jesus. Some of you will remember when Jesus teaches about the coming of the Holy Spirit, it's the night before he's to be crucified, he tells his disciples, I'm going to send the promise of my Father to you. I am going to send the Spirit to you, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You're not going to be alone in your life as you walk around, even as we are here today. This isn't just us showing up. The Spirit is with us. And when Jesus says this, this is what he says the Spirit is going to do. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Listen now, he will glorify me. That's what the Spirit's going to do. He's going to glorify Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, the way I speak about the Spirit all that much is he's constantly shining a light on Jesus. He's constantly bringing to mind the things that Jesus taught. He's wanting to apply to our lives the things of Jesus. So that might be one of the reasons is that the Spirit doesn't shine a light on himself and so that we don't do it quite as much either. One writer that I have read on the Spirit calls the Spirit the shy member of the Trinity. Or I heard a sermon a number of years ago. You're going to think I'm making this up, but I'm not. The title of the sermon was, The Holy Spirit, the Ed McMahon of the Trinity. <laughs> okay, so this gets a big laugh here, but at my church, where people are much younger than many of us, before I could explain to them theologically what it meant for the Holy Spirit to be Ed McMahon, I had to explain to them who Ed McMahon was. But either one of those things is probably not worth doing too much. The Holy Spirit is this uh, person of the Trinity who gets the least attention. Not only is the Holy Spirit the member of the Trinity who gets the least attention, sometimes the Holy Spirit is the one who gets kind of put off to one side of the church or adopted by one 
part of the church community. And so some people kind of take the Holy Spirit and kind of put him off to the side a little bit. And so you'll hear people say things like this. Well, is that a spirit-filled church? Or other people will say, you know, I go to a Holy Ghost church. Or some of you may be part of the Pentecostal tradition. The Pentecostal tradition, which especially kind of focuses on those gifts of the Spirit that were given at Pentecost. And so some folks think, well, it's the Pentecostal church or a certain aspect of the church that gets the Spirit. So those two things and many others. One is we don't talk about the Spirit that much. Sometimes the Spirit gets segmented or particularized to one side of the church. But when you look at how the Bible actually speaks about the Holy Spirit, you see something totally different. You see that the Holy Spirit is not shy, and you see that the Holy Spirit is not just for some people in the church. I want to take a look at one of the stories in the Bible that talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I need to give just a little bit of context for this story. This story takes place after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. He's ascended into heaven And it takes place in the city of Jerusalem. There's a festival out there going on called Pentecost. Before it was a Christian festival, it was a Jewish festival. There are people there from all over the world, and they're there to be at the temple. And the disciples are there too. They're there for a different reason. They're there because Jesus said there's a power coming. There's a promise coming. So what we're going to read here is the coming of the Holy Spirit, and it comes from the book of Acts, if you want to look along. Now, there's one more thing I want to say about this passage before we read it and look at it. This passage is not just a recounting of a historical event. This passage is supposed to be for us paradigmatic. How's that for a $25 word? Paradigmatic simply means this. It means when we read this passage, it should set a paradigm for how we see the Spirit coming in our lives. So when we look at this, it's not just a historical event. I believe that it was. I believe this took place physically, actually. But when we read it, it's also given to us so that we can see the Holy Spirit coming in our midst. Because look, listen. This doesn't do us any good, this passage of Scripture, if the Holy Spirit just comes to the people in Acts 2, 2,000 years ago. It doesn't help us. And Jesus didn't send the Holy Spirit just for a very small group of people in Jerusalem in the ancient Near East 2,000 years ago. He sent the Holy Spirit to us. And this account is given to us so that we can begin to see how is the Spirit going to come in our lives? How do we know what to look for? What will it be like And we can look in this passage and see it gives us clues. It's paradigmatic. That's how the Bible works. It's not just a recounting of a past event. It's to bring us a present event right now. That's how powerful God's word is. So I'm going to read this passage. It's the account of the Holy Spirit coming. And as you listen to it, listen for ways that might help us to see the Holy Spirit coming in our lives. Here we go. Book of Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They were the disciples. They're scared. They're worried. They're pretty sure Jesus has been raised. They saw him when he was ascended into heaven. But Matthew tells us that they were still doubting. They're there. They're waiting. They're praying. They're worrying. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men and women from every nation under heaven. These are the people that are there for the festival. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. That was basically the whole known world that they would have known of. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, that's the disciples, the apostles, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men and women of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people aren't drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and my female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Dear friends, this is God's word. It is absolutely true, and it's been given to us in love. Would you please pray with me? Dear God, please speak now your word. By your Holy Spirit, apply this to our lives. Be with those here today who believe in you and your Son and follow you. Be with those here today who do not believe in your son and do not follow you. Be with those of us who are in between, who are trying, who are struggling. Be with those today who are joyful. Be with those today who are in despair. Be with each one of us and meet us where we're at. Help us to know that you love us and help us to love you back. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. This passage is paradigmatic. I want to show you some things that will help us, I believe, to see how the Spirit comes for us. I'm going to read through a couple of these verses, and I'm going to ask you some questions as to what this passage is saying. This is a little bit of a, a primer on trying to discover what the Bible says. Listen to this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and filled the entire house. Did it fill... Some of the house or all? All, okay. Verse 3, divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Did it rest on some of them or all? Oh, you can see where this is going, right? All right. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Were some of them filled with the Holy Spirit or all? All. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout people from every nation under heaven. They would have, this is all the nation, the world they knew. Part of the world or all? All. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in their own language. Did some people hear the great deeds of God spoken to them or all? Okay. The Spirit falls on all. This Holy Spirit is not shy. 
The Holy Spirit does not come for some part of the church, but not other parts of the church. The work of the Holy Spirit is not partial or limited or qualified. The work of the Holy Spirit is not restricted, incomplete, or imperfect. The work of the Holy Spirit is not sectional, fractional, half done, or halfway. The very best way for you and I to understand the Holy Spirit and how he comes to us, the work of the Holy Spirit, who he comes to and what he comes to do is to use the word that you all used over and over and over, the word that comes from the scriptures, which is the word all. And Peter says it again when he quotes the prophecy of Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all. So, I am a Presbyterian pastor. We usually have three points in sermons, but I've only got one point for you today. And that point is all. I would like it and please appreciate it if you don't report this to my presbytery. I came to the shore. I preached a one-point sermon. But this is what my professor, the Reverend Dr. Cleophas LaRue, taught me at Princeton Seminary. He said, Vito, don't preach a three-point sermon. Don't preach a two-point sermon. Preach a one-point sermon. And he's got to be right. He's the Reverend Dr. Cleophas LaRue from Princeton Seminary. Doesn't that sound official and smart and good? So I'm only preaching a one-point sermon, but I'm also only going to preach a one-point sermon because this is what the text says. And I want my sermons to be biblical. I want to adhere to what the text says. And this text says that when the Holy Spirit came then and when the Holy Spirit comes now, he came to all. The Spirit falls on all. Now, I'm saying the Spirit falls on all. I want to just be very clear what I mean by fall. I don't mean falling down in a religious meeting. If that has happened, that's, that's fine. What I mean by fall is a lot of times when the scripture, passage, or scripture speaks about the Spirit falling, it uses water imagery. So when we hear about the Spirit falling like rain on the earth and causing things to grow, Things like the fruits of the Spirit, love, peace, joy, patience, self-control, kindness, gentleness. When the Spirit falls on us, it causes us to grow. Or when the Spirit falls on us, it's like water when you wash a baby, when you wash away every dirt, every stain. So when I say the Spirit falls on all, I simply mean the life-giving, joy-giving, hope-making spirit of love and truth that comes down on all. Now just think for a moment here. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I can't help it. Who has the Spirit fallen on in this room? All. Okay. It's going to be hard for some of you to believe that. Some of you are going to look around and think, I know that the Spirit has fallen on other people in a different way than he's fallen on me. I know that he's come to, I'm not sure he's come on me. I don't talk like the person that I hear talking about the Spirit. I don't pray like that. I feel dark sometimes. I don't even know if I believe. But the Spirit falls on all. Let's just bookmark that. But I want to say that every single one of the people here, the Spirit falls on all. So now that we have this word, which is paradigmatic for us, it helps us to see how the Spirit's going to come, let's now apply it in any number of ways. This is the tricky way that you can get actually more points in the sermon. How does it apply in different ways, this one point? First, when it says the Spirit falls on all, it means the Spirit falls on all places. 
Verse 2 says, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house. Now, there's an image here that the Scripture uses sometimes, but I'm even going to kind of run with it a little bit more. The Scripture talks about the church as like a house, a household. And here, this picture of all the disciples, they're together in a house, and what are they doing? They're praying, and they're singing, and they're worshiping, and they're worrying. The picture here is of a church, and all the disciples are there, and that building is like a representation of the church. Are you with me? Okay, so the Spirit falls on everyone in the church, and it falls everywhere. It doesn't fall on just a select group of people. It falls in all places. This is the disciples that they're praying and thinking and all those things, and it falls on every person in the church. So as you think about the church that you may go to, maybe you don't go to a church, that's okay. But if you think about who the Holy Spirit falls on in a church, who do you think of? You might think of the pastors and the elders and the deacons and the people that you see serving and they're out there getting it done and all those things. Fine. But it says here the Spirit falls on all. The Spirit doesn't miss anybody in this house. We here as a congregation, and that's what we are, we're a gathering right now, the Spirit hasn't missed any one of us. God doesn't have bad aim. God doesn't have a non-ample amount of the Holy Spirit to give. He sends the Holy Spirit to all, on all people. You might think you don't have much to contribute to your church. You might think, again, I'm not really into it. I have these dark thoughts. My faith isn't that strong. But the Holy Spirit falls on all. And in your own way, God is calling you to serve and love and believe and doubt and to be used by the Holy Spirit for the work of God's kingdom. The Spirit falls on all. The Spirit also falls on all churches. We might sort of think, again, the Pentecostal church, and by the way, this is not uh, picking on the Pentecostal church at all. You might say, well, the Pentecostal church has the Spirit. Or you might say, this particular, man, this church is growing. There's some churches that are growing in New Jersey. The Spirit must really be at that church. Yeah, that's right. But the Spirit falls on all churches. The Spirit falls on churches that are more conservative than the church you go to. And the Spirit falls on churches that are more liberal or progressive than the church that you go to. The Spirit falls on churches that are bigger than the church you go to and smaller. The Spirit falls on Orthodox churches and Roman Catholic and storefront non-denominational church. The Spirit falls on all, and we should expect that the Spirit is working in all of the areas of the church, even the ones that we disagree with. And why is that? Because we want to be nice? No, it's because the Spirit falls on all. So the Spirit falls on all places in the church, but does the Spirit fall just on the church? No. No, and you see that in this passage. The Holy Spirit falls on those who are in the house, but then what happens? Imagine right now, if this is our church, imagine if God created a supernatural spring of water right here in front, and the water began to gush out. Could we keep it here in this building? Not a chance. But the Holy Spirit is infinitely more powerful and dynamic and vibrant than physical water. And the Holy Spirit is planted in that building, and then it drives people out. You see, they go out into the streets, and they begin to speak about where God is and about what God is doing. So the Holy Spirit is falling in all places. 
not just in the church, but also outside of the church. You should expect, each one of us should expect the Holy Spirit when we leave the church. Sometimes when you show up to church, you do what I do, which is you say, oh man, this is a good day. The Spirit is going to speak. You come through those doors, the Spirit is going to speak here. He's going to build me up. Yes. But you and I should be thinking that about every room that we step into. Not just the church room. But when you walk into any place, do you think the Holy Spirit is nervous about being any other place in the world? Do you think he's just careful he wants to be in here? This is nicely new and painted. I appreciate it. But the Holy Spirit is not nervous about going out into the world. The Holy Spirit created the world. You go back to Genesis and there you see the Father hovering. And there you see the Word about to speak things into creation. And it also says in Genesis that the Holy Spirit is right there. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And who's there? The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Psalm 33, 6 says, The Spirit is at work in creation. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the Spirit of his mouth. So the Spirit made all things. He made all places in creation. So you can bet wherever you go, he's going to be there. And I know, though, that it's just natural. There are going to be certain places that you're going to feel the Spirit more. There are going to be certain places that you're going to think, this is where the Spirit is residing. Everybody has those natural inclinations, and I do too. I live in New York City, and I love the churches of New York City. A lot of them have their doors open around the clock. It could be the really big cathedrals, or it could be those small storefront churches. And whenever I walk by a church, I always try the handle. And whenever I go in, there's something that feels holy to me. There's something that feels holy to me around this place. I'll go into sometimes when the doors are open, let myself in, and it feels like the Spirit is there. Amen? That's all right. It's good. But the Holy Spirit just doesn't stay in the church. The Holy Spirit is in all the places you go to. Now, just in the same way that you have in your mind, you could bring to mind places that you might go on vacation or churches that have meant a lot to you. Or places that just feel sanctified, and you think that's where the Spirit is. The same way that you think that, there are certain places that you think the Spirit's not here. I don't think so. I don't think the Spirit's here. There are certain places it might be your workplace. It just feels, uh, uh, it's not here. It's not here. It might be in the hospital room. Oh, it's scary there. It's hard. It might be on the beach. You just think this is the... I'm done, with, I'm done with Bible hour. I'm on the beach now. This is, there are certain places that you're going to think the Holy Spirit's not here. But the Holy Spirit is in all places. And so we should expect the Holy Spirit to be pushing us and pulling us, reassuring us, loving us, changing us, just maybe even a little bit in all places, all the places that you go, all the places that you might not even expect the Holy Spirit to be. The Holy Spirit is even in places that aren't even places. Like over the last 12 to 16 months, we have all spent a lot of time in Zoom. That's not a place. But the Holy Spirit's there. On all those little screens, the conversations that we have, you ever want to check out, where do you go? Your phone. That's not a place. But the Holy Spirit is there. You should expect that when you're on your phone, you should expect when you're trying to communicate or check out, whatever you're doing on your phone, the Holy Spirit is there reassuring, encouraging, 
prodding, pushing, pulling, convicting. There's no place that the Holy Spirit is not. So that's one of the things that we see, that the Holy Spirit is in all places. But even more importantly than that, not only does the Holy Spirit fall in all places, he falls on all people. All people, all the people in this room, all the people outside of this room, all the people that you think have the Spirit, man, you can see it. And all the people that you look at them and you think, they have a Spirit, but I don't think it's the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is working even on those folks. And the reason I know that is not because I have an intuition about it, it's because the Scripture says it. Listen, in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So let's break it down like Joel does. Who does the spirit fall on? The spirit falls on old people and young people. People that are older than you and people that are younger than you. You can pick up a baby, and that baby can speak to you in the spirit, maybe without words, but that spirit of the Holy Spirit is with that, even that little baby. Some of you have experienced that, the Holy Spirit being present even in a baby that's in your arms. We should expect that the Holy Spirit is working through babies and children, trying to speak to us, helping us, encouraging us, bringing about God's purposes and kingdom in this world. And you should also expect that the Holy Spirit is with people who are older than you. You might think that, man, I've reached this certain age, I'm not going to change I've reached a certain age. I'm kind of worn out. I'm not going to be able to do anything more. I kind of have landed where I'm going to land, and that's it. But the Scripture says the Holy Spirit falls on the young and the old. And if the Holy Spirit is with you, and He is, then it means He's still still bringing growth to you. He's still bringing love to you. He's still helping you to change and become the person that you already are in the heavenly places. That's what Ephesians says. Ephesians says that you are with Christ in the heavenly places and the person that you are is the person that you're becoming now. And the person you're becoming now is by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit falls on the old and on the young. Joel also says the Holy Spirit is present in men and women. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. For the most part, I'm not going to need to convince you that the Holy Spirit falls on men. That's kind of been the standard party line. But the Holy Spirit, it says here, falls on women and falls on our daughters. The Holy Spirit falls on all people to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And that shouldn't surprise us. The very first preachers of the gospel were the women who showed up to tell the apostles, hey, uh, you missed something. So the Holy Spirit falls on men and on women. Joel also says the Holy Spirit falls on the rich and the poor. Think about the best restaurant you've ever been to. The most amazing, extravagant, beautiful restaurant you've ever been to. Imagine going through the doors of that restaurant. The Holy Spirit is going to be there present, the person who is washing dishes at the very back. And the Holy Spirit's going to be present in the person that owns that restaurant. You should expect that the people that you speak with, those of high estate and those of low estate, that the Holy Spirit's going to be working through them. And that That makes exciting conversations. That makes exciting for an exciting life when you know that each person that you run into, old or young, men or women, rich or poor, that there might be a word from the Holy Spirit to you. 
Or it also means that you might have a word for each person that you run into. It makes every conversation, every interaction and relationship one of a divine appointment. It's holy because the Holy Spirit falls on all. When you think about this, the implications of this, it means that the people that you wouldn't expect are the ones who have the Holy Spirit. So, as I've always point, already pointed out, as you read in the passage, after the disciples come out, out in the street, they begin to speak to everybody. They're preaching supernaturally, and they're preaching to everybody. And this means that the Holy Spirit not only falls on men and women and old and young and rich and poor, it means the Holy Spirit falls internationally. And this is an interesting and fun aspect of this passage. Basically, the whole known world is in Jerusalem at this time, and the Holy Spirit is proclaiming good news to every single one of them. The Holy Spirit does not know any kind of international boundaries. Christianity, there's a lot of similarities with some religions, but there are a lot of distinctives and differences too. Because most religions don't have this sort of transnational aspect to them. Many religions actually are a little bit more specific when it comes to that. Islam's holy book, the Quran, is only meant to be read and kept in Arabic. It's not supposed to be translated into any other language. Not many tongues, just one tongue. Or if you think about Judaism, Judaism, especially in Orthodox Judaism, it's passed down through the mother, through the lineage, through blood. Not many tribes, one tribe. But when you look at the gospel, when you look at what the Holy Spirit is doing, he is working in every nation, in every tribe, and in every tongue. If you look at a list of the census of the nations that are most Christian, are the ones with the most followers of Jesus, it's an amazing list to look through. When you run your fingers down, this is what you'll see. You think about this now. What countries do you think, don't, don't say it out loud right now, what countries do you think have the most amount of believers in Jesus? Here are some of them. Brazil, Mexico, Russia, Nigeria, the Congo, and yes, the United States is on that list too. There's one country that's not on this list that might have more Christians than any others. It's just that we can't get a good count, China. So the Spirit falls on all nations, we should expect, anybody that we run into, no matter what tribe, nation, or tongue, that the Holy Spirit as at work in them. The Holy Spirit falls on all. The Holy Spirit even falls on people who aren't religious. Now think about this. There are a lot of people there for the Jewish festival. But I'm going to make a guess here. You don't have to take this as gospel, but I'm going to make a guess. I'm going to make a guess that not every single person in Jerusalem at this moment is there for the festival. I think that's a good guess it's a little conjecture, but I'm going to make a guess that not every single person there in Jerusalem is a believer in the God of the Bible. And if that's the case, it means that the Holy Spirit speaks to you even if you're not a believer. It means that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you even if you don't adhere to a particular religion. People who are not Christians, people who are not religious, the Spirit comes to them too. And the Spirit does not come to people to make them religious. The Spirit comes, did you see this? The Spirit comes to declare the mighty works of God. The Spirit comes to declare good news to people. And listen now, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, and I don't presume that every single one of you is, but for those of you who are followers of Jesus, this knowledge that the Spirit falls on all, even those who aren't religious, can actually give you a little bit of instruction and a little of encouragement when it comes to evangelism. Ooh, that bad word, evangelism. Ooh, it makes me nervous. I'm not one of those people that, well, maybe I will, but I think this person's better at it. But listen, again, 
Evangelism is not getting other people to remember or know that you're right. Evangelism isn't trying to convince people that they're wrong about something. Evangelism isn't trying to get them to leave the church that they go to and go to your church. Evangelism is telling people good news. That's what evangelism means. And so evangelism here, when we know that God speaks to all, it means that you have the opportunity to preach good news, to speak to all, and to anticipate that the Holy Spirit's already there. The Holy Spirit is already with every single person you encounter, not just the ones who are religious, not just the ones that you know already have a relationship with Jesus, but telling people and loving people and reminding people that God loves them, loving people in the Spirit of Christ, telling people good news in the Spirit of Christ, reminding them that God loves them in the Spirit of Christ, even simply being patient with somebody. Sometimes that's good news too. Are there some people in your life that it's hard to be patient with? that it's hard to be patient with in the Spirit of Christ. Sure, every single one of us. And it says here that the Spirit falls on all. So we have an opportunity even to be patient. You know, I'm going to talk about this in the next couple of days. We have all been through a tremendous amount in the last 16 months. And the truth is, the fact is, that a lot of us feel weary and worn, a little wounded maybe even. That as much as it's exciting now, the restrictions are coming off and we're feeling like we can go back into life and there's an enthusiasm and an encouragement. There is in my life and my mind. That's great. But it's also the case that a lot of us feel weary and a lot of us feel a little beat up. And one of the ways that you can proclaim good news to somebody is simply to be patient with them. To be patient with where God is at with them and also to be patient with yourself and know that you need to have that patience too. I want to read to you a quote from one of my favorite uh, theologians that I've just started reading. His name is Thomas Halleck. He is a pastor in Czechoslovakia. He grew up during the time of communism there. He did a degree in sociology and in psychology and at his PhD doctoral dissertation, when he was just about to graduate and just to go into the academy, he gave a speech that the Communist Party deemed so offensive that they made contact with him afterwards and they said, we promise you, you will never have a position in academia in Czechoslovakia. You can bank on it. So you know what he did? He became a counselor and helper to addicts, to those who are addicted to alcohol and to drugs. That's how he decided to spend his life and his time. But he went on then to become a pastor and a theologian. And this is what Thomas Halleck writes about patience. I really love this. Listen. Patience with others is love. Patience with yourself is hope. And patience with God is faith. Patience with others is love. It's accepting people where they're at, knowing that God is still working on them. You're going to love them anyway. You're not going to wait until they become what God wants them to be. You're going to love them anyway. Patience with others is love. Patience with yourself is hope. To look at the face in the mirror and say, God isn't done with me yet. I'm not defined by the mistakes that I made, and God isn't waiting to love me until I get to some destination. God loves me now, and I'm going to be patient with myself. And that's a kind of hope, because you know God's going to help you to become the person he wants you to be. And patience with God is faith. Because as much as we believe in God, if we also believe in the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms is filled with prayers saying, God, why are things like this? God, things are really bad. God, why don't you come down? God, I didn't think that things were going to be like this. God, I'm really disappointed. We can pray like that because the Psalms show us. And when we pray like that, that's a kind of patience. 
it's a kind of faith. We're saying, God, I'm going to be patient with you. I know that might sound a little blasphemous, but it's right there in the Psalms. God, I'm going to be patient with you. And that's a kind of faith. So the Spirit falls on all. He's at work. He's here right now. Keep an eye out for him. He's around every corner. He's the Lord and the giver of life. And he's doing all kinds of things. Some of them look religious and some of them don't. You know, I've talked about this before here. One of my favorite things about New Jersey, and I have a lot of favorite things about New Jersey. One of my favorite things about New Jersey is your produce. Your produce is amazing. The next time you go to a farmer's market, when you see that table and you see the vegetables and the fruits just groaning, bearing that table down, do you know who did that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work anytime there is growth and love. If you ever see a teacher who volunteers with children, who's really good at teaching children math, who's taking an extra time to work with students who are having difficult, you know who's doing that? The Holy Spirit. Helping people to help other people. If you ever feel a desire to help someone else to know God better, if you ever send a note or a text and you're helping to encourage somebody just to remind them that God loves them, you know who's doing that through you? It's the Holy Spirit. If you ever want to be more patient with yourself knowing that God loves you and you're wanting to know it more, when you have that inclination, that's the Holy Spirit at work in you. I'm going to close this way. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And the prayer that I'm going to pray is a prayer that I kind of wrote, but I really based it on a prayer written by a man named Basil. Sometimes you'll see him in books, St. Basil. And he was born in 300 and oh so, 10 or 20. This prayer that I'm about to read to you was written in 364 AD. Basil wrote a book called On the Holy Spirit. People have been thinking about the Holy Spirit for a long time. And the Holy Spirit has been working on people for a long time. And Basil wrote a prayer to the Holy Spirit. And as I pray this prayer, I'm going to ask God, and we're going to ask God to give us eyes to see and ears to hear how the Spirit is speaking to each one of us right now. Think about how the Spirit is at work in your life and in the life of people you know. So let's pray. Dear Holy Spirit, it's through your help, Holy Spirit, that hearts get lifted up. So would you please lift our hearts up? Holy Spirit, it's by your strength that the weak are held by the hand. Would you please help those we know who are weak? Holy Spirit, when we feel like we're stagnant and not moving at all in life, you're the one who can carry us along. Would you please do that for us? Holy Spirit, just like when a sunbeam falls on our bodies, we become lit up and brilliant. So when you shine upon us with the love of Christ, we are cleansed from every spot. Would you please cleanse us with the love of Christ? Holy Spirit, when you shine upon us, we become more ourselves, more of who you want us to be. Would you help us to become more of who you want us to be? But Holy Spirit, we know the truth is that you love us just as we are now. And for this we thank you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was given by Pastor Vito Ayudo at Bible Hour in Ocean Grove on Monday, July 26, 2021. 
Pastor Ayuda will be providing the Bible Hour message again this year from July 11th through July the 16th, 2022 in the Tabernacle at 9 a.m. Please join us and invite others. Thank you for listening. For more about attending Bible study, worship, or additional programs offered by the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association, and for social media links, go to oceangrove.org.